Thank you, team, and good morning, church. Welcome to those of you who are with us in the building today and to those of you that are with us worshiping at home online this morning. We're glad that we're all together worshiping the Lord today. Our memory verse for this month is from the book of 1 Corinthians. It's in chapter 1, verse 25. Let's say it together. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 1 Corinthians 1, 25. Today is Valentine's Day, just in case any of you were unaware. Don't, don't want you to get in trouble, but we did not plan this out to, to be talking about the concept or the topic of love on Valentine's Day, but yet that is how the Lord would have willed it for us as a body of Christ today. We are studying the book of 1 Corinthians, the letter that Paul wrote to the people of God in Corinth, and our theme for this study is love builds up. That is the lens through which we're studying this first letter that Paul wrote to the people of God in Corinth. This is a countercultural form of love, one that is grounded in truth and demonstrated by the power of Christ at work within us. And Jesus said that he was giving a new command. The new command that he gave was to love one another. And what the apostles and the disciples and the writers of the New Testament endeavor to show their readers is how God intends for this love to be expressed in the communities that he has planted us in. And one of our primary takeaways, friends, in the first number of weeks that we've been studying this letter should be that indeed we are unable to produce this kind of love by our own efforts and strengths. It must be produced and motivated within us by the Lord. The love that Jesus calls out of his disciples is produced within us by the power of of his Holy Spirit, the helper who was sent and came just as Jesus promised he would. Friends, love, evidence of our sanctification and true spiritual growth is learning how to love and grow in love for one another as the Spirit works within us. The Bible tells us that knowledge puffs up. But love lays down one's life for another person. This, friends, is a foreign concept to children who were found dead in their trespasses and sins. This kind of love is almost like hearing or learning a new language. One does not learn a new language without using aids or tools or helps in order for them to advance both in their knowledge and practice of the language. And friends, one of the greatest gifts that we have received as believers in Jesus Christ is the gift of a new nature. God has given us a nature of love, a language of love. And the Holy Spirit is the helper who together with the truth of the word and prayer aids in helping us learn and apply and practice our new nature. Friends, this is so closely connected to the vision that we have as a body of Christ here at Calvary Monument Bible Church. 
We say that we would be growing in a greater love for God and a greater love for each other. For the believer on earth, love is our first word and action. And as one scholar has even determined, love is also our final fight. We are learning together that the love that God calls us to demonstrate is different from love as it is often defined in our culture and world. There are affirmative qualities to this love that we've already studied. Qualities like patience and kindness and truth-loving, protecting one another, believing the best in one another, hoping for one another, enduring together. And those expressions have been coupled together with descriptions of how love is not expressed. Love is not envious, friends. Or is it boastful? It does not insist on its own way. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking, irritable, or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. And so now we're coming to an end of chapter 13. If you take your Bibles, you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 today. And Paul is going to describe one final affirmation of love. And he's going to do this while he's leading us into a tension that often defines the daily demonstrations of our love here on earth. Friends, the reality is that though we've been given a new nature, that this nature is not yet perfected. It is complete, but it is not yet mature. So we are left with as one theologian describes, an understanding that, quote, love's present tense is always suspended in a end time future tension between an identity that has already been given by God and a purpose which has not yet been brought to perfection, end quote. Friends, as long as we are here on this earth, dwelling together, the old nature, that old beast that's within each and every one of us, still will have lingering influence. It is a nature of turmoil, one that's bent on division, and the church in Corinth was divided. Spiritual classes were being established regarding who followed which teachers, who had which spiritual gifts, who was allowed or wasn't allowed to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols, and on and on and on. What man was doing was quickly becoming elevated and propped up above the great once and for all sacrificial humbling of our Savior, the Savior of the world. Here the church is in its most formative stages. And already this type of spiritual hierarchy. Was being promoted and practiced. Among the people of God. Paul in a sense in his letter is saying. Guys knock it off. Just stop. The Corinthian church. Much like the church today. Had things backwards. You see they thought love was. A milk product. They thought love was something 
that was first. Something that was given early in the faith and then kind of pushed aside to move on to deeper things. Paul was showing that the exact opposite was true. Love is indeed perhaps the meatiest of all of the concepts related to our spirituality and our faith. For friends, we will spend our lives here on earth learning and growing in love together. Then, once we are perfected and called together in heaven with Jesus, we will go on in love perfected for eternity. The most powerful, enduring, effective expression of our faith is love. It is very much, as one might say, the gift that keeps on giving. And so we lean into unpacking and addressing the giant question that hangs over Paul's first letter. How do we live as disciples of Jesus and function together as his church in an overwhelmingly unbelieving world? And we find, friends, today as we open his word, that both the macro and micro answers to that question begin and end with love. Because love will never fail Love will never end. Let's pray. Father, we are preparing to open your word and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 to 13 together. It is a day in our world and culture, and especially here in the United States, where we talk about this concept of love frequently but yet Lord we find that it is so often misunderstood and yet here we have together as we gather in our homes and in this building here we have enduring truth that is living and active and powerful and able to change us from the inside out this is what we surround today as a body of Christ and Lord it is from your truth and your word that we desire to pull out our understanding of what love truly is. Help us, Lord, not just to know it, but motivate within us the strength to live it as well, even when we do not feel like living it. Help us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the truest example And the most beautiful illustration of what this love looked like that we could ever witness. And may you pattern and help us pattern the behaviors of our lives and the attitudes of our hearts. After our saviors. It's in his name we pray. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 13 verses 8 to 13. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I 
thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. There is one gift that stands above them all. Paul begins this section by addressing three temporary gifts that would eventually cease. First, he talks about prophecy. Prophecy, as we can understand it today, is probably most closely related to our modern practice of preaching. Prophecy could be prepared, but it also could be spontaneous. True prophecy, however, was motivated from God. It was given to edify, to encourage, to enrich, to console, to challenge, to convict, and to guide. And the primary resource for prophecy was the same primary resource that we use for preaching today. It was the Word of God. In Paul's time, the prophets didn't have the complete canon of scriptures. So they much more heavily relied on the law and the prophets of the Old Testament and the widely accepted and recorded teachings of Jesus. Paul, though, is saying here that the need for prophecy would one day pass away. Therefore, friends, we affirm together that it is not the word of the prophet or the word of the preacher that is eternal, but rather the word of God. Here is why we take our stand on the word that was given to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 40, verse 8 of his book and is written and etched into the front of the pulpit here. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Friends, my wife doesn't like when I say this, but it's the reality in view of eternity. I'm going to be dead soon. (laughs) And and there's a lot of people who after I'm gone aren't going to remember a thing that I said. And maybe the reality is as you leave here on Sunday, by the time you get home, not much has been remembered. That's okay. The word of God will echo and ring through eternity. Yet prophecy was not the only gift that was going to cease. There was another gift that Paul mentions, tongues. Or languages. It was a supernatural gift given in the early church. And some scholars believe that it's a gift that still in some places throughout the world today may have some use. Especially where the church is not yet established. There are varying perspectives on the nature of this gift. However, I do believe that we can confidently assert with strong biblical support that tongues or languages was not a form of unintelligible babble. Every place we find the gift of tongues or languages in the Bible, we find an interpreter present to interpret the message. And every time that an angel speaks to a person in the Bible, it is in a language that the person hearing understands. Angels do not come with translators. 
which indicates to us that even the language of heaven, whatever it might be, and we don't know what it is, is intelligibly understood by those who it is spoken to. In some ways, friends, we should not be surprised that the gift of tongues would eventually cease. The Bible is clear that God is restoring and making whole that which was broken and divided. And the concept of multiple languages has its origin in the Tower of Babel. Very early on in the biblical narrative. Genesis chapter 11 verse 1 paints for us the picture. It says this. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as you move through the narrative of Genesis chapter 11, the power of a shared language becomes apparent. That which the Lord had intended for man's good, man was once again corrupting and practicing as an offense to God. And the whole chapter, friends, of Genesis 11 is really both beautifully constructed, yet sobering in its conclusion. Early in the chapter in Genesis 11, the the author is highlighting the unified voice of the people. Then he moves to reveal the unified voice of the Godhead as God observes what his creatures are intending to do. The sin of the people is revealed in verse 4. Then God said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. This is the people speaking. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. You see, friends, the people's desire was to make their own name great. And by their own power to protect themselves. But we understand that as a people of God created in the image of God, that we are to be magnifying our creator. For it is only God who protects, preserves and makes great his people. Think together with me about the beauty and the power of what will one day be the new heaven and the new earth where every nation, every tribe, every language will be brought together as one. And this time, our focus will not be to make a great name for ourselves, but rather now we will be determined to make a great name for God, to make his name as great as we possibly can. That's not the case back in Babel. Back in Babel, the people are trying the hardest they can to preserve themselves and their own glory. And what does God do? As so often happens, the things that we try the hardest on earth ourselves to protect are often disrupted. So God comes down and he disrupts. He destroys the idol of the people's greatness. He takes away the most effective tool that they have to achieve it in their language. And look at what it says in Genesis chapter 11, verses 7 to 9. This is the Godhead speaking to themselves. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, 
And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. Now, friends, flash forward to Jesus. Isn't it beautiful? Jesus came bringing with him the advent of a new kingdom. And with the advent of that new kingdom, we start to see signs. Signs of broken and divided things like languages being overcome by these miraculous and powerful spiritual gifts that were given to the church. Glimpses of a future true and full restoration. And we see this clearly in the book of Acts at Pentecost in chapter 2. But its fullest expression, friends, is still clearly unrealized. Even so... As beautiful as this gift is, and and for those of you that have tried to learn a language before, if remnants of this gift are still in our culture, you know how beautiful it is to be able to learn a language easily. It's rare. It's uncommon. And even as beautiful and as powerful as it was, it too would one day cease. The importance of the gift of languages and the interpretation of languages fades where there is a common and shared language among the church. And so it wouldn't just be prophecy that would cease. It wouldn't just be the gift of languages that would cease. But Paul also says there's another gift that's going to cease. And he talks about this as the gift of knowledge. What is the gift of knowledge? This is one of the spiritual gifts in the Bible in all of Paul's list that he gives that we know the least about. But it was a gift in the Corinthian church that was highly envied and desired among the people. Some scholars remarked that it was a gift that had something to do with supernatural wisdom. That those who expressed the gift of knowledge in the early church spoke as if they had been given divine knowledge or insight into circumstances and challenges that were confronting the early church. Regardless, friends, the point that Paul is trying to make about all three of these gifts that were so coveted within the Corinthian church was that all of them were temporary and incomplete. And they would all pass away. Look at verses 9 and 10. He's going to highlight this again. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 9 and 10. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. In whatever ways these gifts might be expressed among the people of God on earth, they will always be expressed in completely. We do not know all things. We, we do not see all things clearly from our limited perspectives here on earth. Verse 9, friends, keeps us humble and grounded. While God's word is perfect and without error, our interpretations of it are limited. By our own partial and imperfect perspectives here on earth. Paul describes that the gifts will only be expressed in part until the perfect comes. And so two fair questions. I think two good questions. What is the perfect? And has it yet come? And you're going to find on the answer to these questions a a myriad of good biblical scholarly 
opinions and views. So I'm going to give you one imperfect man's imperfect view this morning. For your pastor, and please know my perspective is also imperfect, I believe that the perfect here refers to the state that will be initiated among believers following Jesus' second coming. So my answer would be no, the perfect has not yet come. There are some who believe that Paul is talking about the state that would be initiated within the church at the completion of the canon of scriptures. That's a valid biblical perspective. Based on the context of the passage, however, it does not seem here to appear that Paul has the completion of the canon in mind as he's writing, but rather the proper use and expression of the gifts among the people of God, the perfect expression of which will not be realized until we are worshiping together in heaven. Is preaching still needed today? Yes. Do people need to hear the word of God proclaimed? Yes, it's alive, it's active, it's working. God still calls imperfect people to preach and teach his word. He works through this gift of proclamation. Many have come to Jesus under the preaching or teaching of a person who is using a modern form of the gift of prophecy. This is not saying that there's new revelation. Modern prophets and preachers are expositing the living and active word of God in the midst of the people of God. Are tongues and languages still needed? Perhaps. There are still places in the world where the word of God is still untranslated. That's a reality. There are still people groups who are unreached with the gospel. And there are still places in this world where the church has not yet been established. Could there still be a modern form of this gift that allows men and women a chance to learn And interpret these languages quickly so that God's word can be translated for the purpose of teaching and preaching it among unreached people groups. Maybe so. Knowledge. I'm going to stop here. I'm uncertain. More studies needed on that one. Please go home and study that one. Come back with answers. I'd love to discuss more. What is certain, friends? And the primary point that Paul is making is that all of these gifts, at some point, whether already or in the future, will no longer be needed and will cease. Love never will. Never. So Paul moves now in the text to give us two illustrations pointing to the temporary and incomplete nature of these gifts. The first is in verse 11. Take a look at verse 11. Paul says this, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Paul, again, is he's using a triad in this illustration, and it's one that reflects the gifts that he has mentioned back in verse 8. Speaking like a child, taking us back to the gift of tongues. Thinking like a child, referring to the gift of knowledge. And reasoning like a child, pointing towards the gift of prophecy. It is these temporary gifts that Paul considers 
the childish ways. He's saying to the people of God in Corinth, don't consume yourself with chasing after these gifts. Instead, go after the greater gift, the enduring gift, the gift that never ends. Go after love. Love never fails. You see, the people of God in Corinth thought that the spiritually mature, the spiritually deep, the spiritually coveted were those who practiced these visible gifts amongst the people. When it's actually the opposite that was true. Those were the children. Give up your childish comparisons of who has what gift and focus instead on love. Paul's already addressed the enormity of what's at stake here at the very beginning of chapter 13. Look up above in the first three verses of chapter 13. We covered this before, but we need to read it again. Verses 1 to 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledges, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Nothing. If I give away all I have, and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Friends, what rocks our world in this this letter is that there were people in the Corinthian church who spiritually looked like they had it all together. When really, they had nothing together at all. Friends, without love, we are nothing. The kind of love that Jesus, Paul, and all of the other New Testament writers are calling us towards asks us to lay down our lives for one another. And friends, in our world today, this will not be celebrated. Most often, it will not be affirmed. Very often it will be critiqued, criticized, rejected, sometimes even persecuted. Yet we are still to pursue love because that's what we're called to do. And it brings God glory. We won't always understand why it's not received well. We won't always know why our love's rejected or antagonized. I remember a missions trip we took years ago to the state of Maine. And it was so odd. We got there. We started working. We were at this woman's house. And a day or two into the work, we were putting shingles on our, on our roof, up on the roof in, in the state of Maine, doing this work. And this woman came out and she said, I don't know why you're here to help me. We don't need your help. We should be coming to help you guys wherever you live. Where do you live? She was like, this is weird. 
For the rest of the week, we returned and continued to work at this lady's house. And she would come out and she would ostracize our leaders. Speak negatively to them. It was hard to keep going back each day to a person that was so ungrateful. And yet, friends, how many of us find ourselves in relationships, in our jobs, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, with people who treat us the same exact way? This is why Paul was able to say, look, I die to myself daily. It's not easy. And we certainly don't always feel like running to the fray and showing this kind of love to people that are ungrateful or unthankful. Don't want to receive it. We don't know why. We don't always have the answers to the question of why. But look at what Paul says in verse 12. He he kind of illustrates this reality, doesn't he? Verse 12, he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Verse 12, again, a little bit more further evidence that the perfect has not yet come, for we do not yet see Jesus face to face. And certainly, even though the canon of Scripture is complete, we do not know fully what it's saying. I don't have perfect knowledge of it. I wish I did. So again, I would say that this verse taken together with verses 9 and 10 would make a stronger statement for the definition of the perfect being the state ushered in at the second coming of Jesus. Friends, what Paul is saying is, how many of you woke up this morning and turned your defrosters on? A lot of you probably. I had to. Many of us had to. Those at home may have looked out the window this morning and saw that they would have had to turn their defrosters on and said, nah uh <laughs> It's okay. I wanted to say that too. <laughs> we have days like that. That's what it's like living here. On earth, it's like we're driving without turning our defrosters on. Have you ever tried to drive? Were you ever in a hurry and needed to get to that appointment so bad that you didn't have time to scrape off the windshield or to sit there for the five minutes while it melted away? And have you driven with a little bit of ice on the windshield? Now we see dimly. We don't have a clear view from our earthly perspectives down here. Friends, seeing a person in a mirror or seeing a person in a photo is not the same as being with that person face to face. And and while we live on this earth and while you and I can look around and, and we can declare and we can see and affirm that there are numerous evidences all around us that God is at work, that Jesus is at work, that the Holy Spirit is living in and through the lives of the disciples of Christ. It's not the same as being with Jesus face to face. 
I mean, look around in our homes. We have images, famous works of arts reminding us of the significant acts of Jesus all around us. Pictures of his birth at Christmas. Pictures of his death and burial and resurrection at Easter. Pictures, art renditions of his ascension. But even this is not the same as seeing and being with Jesus face to face. At best here on earth, friends, it's like we're zooming with Jesus. I mean, we've been getting together for Zoom on Wednesday nights for prayer meeting. It's great, but I think every single person would tell you it's not the same. It's not like being face to face. Not the same. As we practice loving one another, keeping this picture in mind is helpful. Sometimes, friends, we may share love and it's going to be rejected or spurned, turned away and misunderstood. But we are to keep on loving. We never know how God might be working through our words or actions to draw somebody unto himself. Now we only know in part, but one day we will fully know even as we are fully known. Do you ever think about that day that you're going to be in heaven with Jesus? And maybe for the first time in your life, all of a sudden, everything that's been so cloudy to you, all of the events and the circumstances in your life that have been so hard to navigate and to process and to understand all of the hurt, all of the pain, all of the loss, all of the heartache, all of a sudden goes from cloudy to clear when we're face to face in the presence of Jesus Then we will know. And sometimes I wonder if we'll even know the impact and the influence that the Lord had on people through our time here on earth. That we often never get to know of. Because people spread out and go their own way. And you never know how Jesus uses that word later in someone's life. To bring something to fruition. Love out Last every other gift. It is the greatest of them all. That's what Paul concludes this chapter with. It's the verse that was our memory verse for last month, the month of January. And I think we should say it together again to refresh our memory. Let's say verse 13 together as a congregation at home and in the building. So now faith, hope and love abide. These three But the greatest of these is love. The very argument Paul is attempting to make from the beginning of this chapter is the enduring quality and nature of love over and above the other more temporal gifts that have been given. Friends, one day our faith will become sight. One day our hope will give way to a delightful eternity. But love forever will remain. Love is the constant. The nature we have been given will be the nature that is perfected and that we have for eternity. Why? Somebody said, why should the church be consumed with the concept of love? Frankly, friends, because Jesus, his disciples and the apostles that followed were all consumed with the concept of Of love and how to live our love out in community with one another. 
We should consume ourselves with the understanding and practicing of biblical applications of love because the Bible tells us that God himself is love. Anyone who does not know God or does not love does not know God because God is love. Friends, love is the very evidence of true belief and true faith. Love is the testimony of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives producing in and through us the power and motivation to love others in the same manner that we ourselves have been loved. So how might love look in light of these realities? Friends, love as God defines it sets the church apart from the unbelieving world. Love as it's revealed in scriptures holds the church together when politics and social and cultural issues threaten to pull it apart. Love as motivated within us by the Holy Spirit causes us to rise and love again even after we've been stomped on, pressed down, tossed aside, cast away or abandoned. Love keeps coming back. Love, as Jesus demonstrated, causes us to lay down our lives for one another, to flee from our own personal comforts and jump into the fray of someone else's disasters and discomforts. Love, as prescribed in the Bible, moves us towards those who do not yet know Jesus as their Savior. And that love motivates us to pray for them, to share with them, to show them that there's a better and more abundant way that can be found in Christ. Love as God has determined does not wait for someone to get their life or act together before it is given. Rather, it finds others in their pain and their heartache and their trespasses and even their sins. And it kneels down beside them and draws their head upon their shoulder and says, I'm here for you. Love goes to the couple whose marriage is falling apart. And calls both parties to fix their eyes on Jesus. And to show each other the same love that they've been shown by him. Love goes to the person participating in gossip and slander and backbiting. And it says, there's a better way. Go talk to the person you have an issue with. Stop hiding. Step into the light. Love leaves the comfortable and protected sheep in their pastures to go after the one who is lost and missing. And when he finds the wounded sheep unable to walk or carry themselves back to the fold, love stoops down and lifts the sheep up and puts it on his shoulders and carries it back to the safety of the flock. And friends, I would assume that in a room this size, those who are here in this building, those who are watching from home, that there is a possibility that there are some in our presence today who have never known or experienced, or been able to demonstrate this kind of love before. And if that's true of you, then I would say, right here, right now, where you sit, it's time for you to give your life to Jesus Christ. No more waiting. Not another minute, not another hour, not another day needs to go by. Right now, you could be sitting on your living room couch today and you can turn your life over to Jesus Christ. He can rescue you and save you and you can experience this kind of love. 
kind of love that flows through the people of God as He calls us into community with one another. It's only God that can produce this kind of love within us. So if you have found yourself incapable of experiencing or showing or knowing what this kind of love is, then as our team returns to the stage this morning, I would ask you to give your life to Jesus Christ. To call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Friends, you can do it today. There's no reason to wait. You don't know what's going to happen on your way home today. And that's the honest truth. I don't know what's going to happen. I almost ran into the wall at Middle Octorera Presbyterian Church last Sunday driving home. I don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. But don't wait. Come to Christ today. Make Him your Savior. We're going to take a few minutes because we are going to participate in communion today as a body of Christ. And before we do, we want to prepare our hearts and minds for this time. And I would remind you that if you do not know Christ as your personal Savior, that we would desire for you to, to feel no obligation to participate with us in communion today. However, if you have turned your life over to Jesus, and in our moments of prayer and reflection, that you turn your life over to Jesus in this time, then by all means, let's celebrate together the body and the blood as we remember and proclaim the love that we've been shown by Jesus. The team is going to sing a hymn for us whose words are very full of the truths that we have been learning about the last number of weeks from 1 Corinthians 13. Perhaps some of you will want to sing along with it, but maybe some of you will just want to sit and reflect and prepare your hearts for a time of communion that we're going to share together. Our prayer is that the Father would move within us this capacity to love as we've been loved.